Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, we're going to be having a chat about the first-term achievements of every single president of the United States of America. Why are we doing this? Well, earlier this week, the current president, Donald Trump, characterized the last four years as, quote, the greatest first term in presidential history. Now, this is a staggeringly huge call. The idea that the last four years under the current administration have been greater than any other opening term of any other US president. So we're going to test this claim today. We're going to see how well it actually stacks up against the cold, hard, uncompromising reality of history. And I mean, I want to say in the past, I have received complaints from listeners who who have claimed that I've been too political. I've been warned against including too much politics in a history podcast. And I don't mean to be too rude to these listeners, but... I mean, honestly, mate, how far up your own ass have you managed to get your head by saying that sort of thing? Because history is politics. It's politics all the way down, mate. It's it's politics that just happened a little bit longer ago. What people say when they mean keep politics out of it, whatever that is, whether it's, you know, film, TV, video games, whatever it is, they don't actually mean keep politics out of it. What they mean is keep partisan politics that don't gel with my worldview out of it. And this sort of sentiment overwhelmingly comes from backwards-facing conservatives who still don't seem to realise that they are nailing their colours uh, to the mast on the wrong side of history. And I'm not going to keep cult politics out of this podcast. First of all, it's impossible. It's a fool's errand. History is politics. But I'm not going to keep partisan politics out of this podcast either. History allows us to stand back and take a broad view of things, to gain a balanced perspective with the benefit of hindsight and the understanding of long-term consequences. But there is no need to wait. There is no need to wait and see with the history that was made earlier this week. We don't need the benefit of centuries to instantly see that one side is right and one side is wrong. And I'm not going to engage in academic cowardice. I will not be told off for being a historian with an actual position on current events as history has made. What happened this week in Washington, D.C.? In the heart one of the oldest democracies on the planet. It's a stain on the history of the United States. It is an indefensible travesty. There is no need for us to leave it to the future generations of historians to tell us that an armed insurrection against the due democratic process of a nation, fermented and encouraged and absolved by the sitting president of that very nation, is a shameful moment in the history of a nation that has sought to lead the free world in recent history. We don't need a long view. We don't need a broad historical perspective on that. We can say that right now. And yet the president himself seeks to characterize not just this moment, but his entire shambolic administration as the greatest first term in presidential history. Well, we will see about that, old mate. Today, we will examine every single first term of every single president, and we will evaluate their achievements and see how it all stacks up. We will give this claim a fair shake of the sauce bottle and we'll see what comes out on the other end. Has the last four years actually represented the greatest presidential first term in US history? Let's find out. We've got a lot to get through, of course. We've got 43 other first terms against which to compare uh, the last four years. So uh, let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. Here we go. So we're going all the way back here, going all the way back now to the 30th of April, 1789, when the very first president of the United States of America was inaugurated, a bloke called, as I'm sure you know, George Washington, here of the Revolutionary War. Washington, he sought to be a, a nonpartisan and an impartial president, even as his own government split forever into different factions. Widely considered one of the greatest presidents of all time. He set countless precedents uh, for the office of the president uh, that is still very much relevant today, such as the two-term limit, now part of the Constitution, the title uh, Mr. President. All of this was to do with Washington. But what did he actually do in his first term? And was it as great as what we've seen in the last four years? Well, the answers to those questions are respectively quite a lot, mate. And no, it was a fair bit bloody greater. So already... 
Trump's claim is in trouble. And we've hardly even started here. It's not looking good for him because George Washington spent his first term quite literally setting up the government of the United States, which is going to be a very tough thing to beat, really. He established the first ever executive cabinet. He established precedents that immediately and and immensely influenced the day-to-day workings of the American government. He also supported, uh, appointed the first ever Supreme Court, signed a treaty with Native Americans, firmly established political protections for religious freedom, oversaw the first U.S. census. Uh, during his first term, construction began on a new national capital, Washington, D.C., of course. Uh, and perhaps most significantly of all, the Bill of Rights was ratified. So one of the most important documents in U.S. history... Uh, The establishment of the Bill of Rights probably in and of itself blows this week's laughable claim out of the water, to be honest. But look, let's be fair. Let's be fair. Washington was the first president. Everything he did was going to be the first time it had been done. He's got an unfair advantage. Let's have a look at the other first terms. Let's say this one doesn't count, right? Maybe the others weren't as great as this one. Let's move on here. John Adams. The second president, he only had one term, uh, one term president last from 1797 to 1801. Let's hope he didn't waste it here. What'd you get up to, John? Let's have a look. France and Britain was at, uh, were at war at this point, and there were various factions within the US that were that sort of pulled Adams in different directions. And he did a good enough job in avoiding all-out war with either nation, particularly against France, although they did fight the quasi-war, which was just that. It was an undeclared quasi-war. Uh, he raised taxes to deal with these foreign policy challenges, uh, a move that ultimately went over like a fart in an elevator, but perhaps was necessary to keep the, the country afloat. Um, Adams also unfortunately restricted the free, freedom of speech as well as immigration to the US in the name of national national, national security. There's so a, a bit of a mixed legacy for John Adams, but, but certainly not the worst US president. Uh, the famous Thomas Jefferson comes next, the third president, and of course, one of the all-time greats. He's going to be a tough act to beat, I reckon, here. Jefferson served two terms from 1801 to 1809, but let's see what went on during his first term. Here. Oh, yes, of course, the Louisiana Purchase. I've heard of that. That's when the uh, that's when Jefferson oversaw the purchase of land from France that doubled the size of the country. This cost the US $15 million. They paid about uh, $7 per square kilometre. Not a bad deal. Uh, and expanded the territory of the United States from the Mississippi River all the way to the Rocky Mountains. And as for exploring this land, Jefferson's first term also saw him send off the Lewis and Clark expedition on their famous uh, trip westward. Uh, also a pretty big deal there. And on top of that, we've got him repealing taxes, reducing government spending. Uh, it was during his first term that the uh, idea of judicial review and the role of the Supreme Court crystallized properly. So a very important first term. And that's not to mention any of the things that went on in his, in his second term. Uh, certainly a fair bit greater than what we've seen recently by any reasonable metric. So... Already not looking too good for the incumbent president. Anyway, James Madison, he was the fourth president. He served two terms from 1809 to 1817. Uh, He, of course, most famously was president during the War of 1812, which began during his first term. You can listen to uh, to all the details about the War of 1812 in episode eight. Hear all about it there. Uh, And it was, of course, during this war that armed men breached the Capitol building, something that before this week was unique in U.S. history. Interestingly, however, now this is this is an interesting sort of little bit of trivia about James Madison when it came when it you know came to the uh, the the armed uh, invasion of the uh, of the U.S. Capitol here. Madison, right? He actually opposed the people who were perpetrating violence and destruction rather than endorsing them. So it's very interesting to see how time. You know, it's funny how how, how times change. You know, how things are so so different in uh, in history, aren't they? It's very very interesting indeed. Anyway, um, it was in his uh, that was in his second term, so it actually doesn't count. You know, that that is not something that we can use to compare him against this this claim here because the the uh, the War of eighteen twelve really uh, really kicked into top gear during his second term. So let's have a look at what happened during his first term. We've got lower taxes, uh, a reduction of the national debt, which is an interesting comment nation there. The first bank of the US shuts down in favour of state banks. Oh, that's pretty boring. Oh, here we go. Here's, here's something pretty good. Effectively, he took co- uh, the US took control of West Florida. Uh, so more territorial gains there, taking off the Spanish. Um, and the rest is him leading the US into a war to ostensibly protect US the US national interest. But again, that's all second term stuff. So not too bad there. Madison made a decent enough performance from you. You didn't run a deeply corrupt government and collude with foreign, government in, foreign governments in seeking power. So I think you Probably come off all right there. Um, James Monroe, number five, he's next, taking us through from 1817 to 1825. Uh, Under Monroe, bunch of new states, the Anglo-American Convention to smooth out the ruffled feathers after the War of 1812, which, of course, was a a bit of a stalemate, although both sides claimed victory. There was also the very important Missouri Compromise, which prohibited slavery in northern states except for Missouri. Enormously controversial, this one. Uh, This tension 
uh, very much contributed to the civil war, which is, of course, brewing on the horizon. But the Monroe presidency is very closely associated with the era of good feelings. Uh, This was a a breakdown of of traditionally fierce partisan politics in the young nation, thanks to post-war nationalism. And, um, I mean, in this period, I mean, the 1820 presidential election saw Monroe elected without really any actual proper um, uh, opposition. There was no real mainstream uh, other candidate that, that ran against him. So the 1820 election is a very interesting one in, in American history. But both Madison and Monroe, they've, they've put in a good effort in this period. It's hard to call them bad presidents. They both opened with reasonable terms there. And of course, Monroe uh, winning the second election, a landslide due to, as I say, this, this era of good feelings. So next up, it's John Quincy Adams, the sixth president, being the son of the second, of course. Um, and like his dad, he was a one-term president. He served from 1825 to 1829. JQA came in hot. Huge domestic policy agenda he brought with him. Uh, He envisaged enormous spending on internal economic infrastructure, education institutions, other projects like that. He even tried, right, to standardise weights and measures, which is something the US still hasn't got right to this very day. But unfortunately for JQA, Congress blocked his every move. He didn't get a lot done at all. He was so strongly disliked by his opponents that they all came together to form the Democratic Party to oppose him. So JQA, indirectly responsible for the formation of the uh, of the Democratic Party. The Democrats very different back, to, back then. You can go and listen to episode 56 for more details about how in the 19th century they, they were actually more or less the Conservative Party, while the Republicans were the more progressive ones. Um, but it was in the, the, the wake of uh, John Quincy Adams' presidency that the Democrats emerged, as I say. So an unpopular tariff in 1828 absolutely ruined his chances of re-election and uh, his middling presidency ended after just one term without too much to show for it. Next up is Andrew Jackson, the first ever Democrat president and the nation's seventh overall. Now, Jackson has a, I'm going to say, undeserved reputation as one of the United States' best presidents. He was undoubtedly a war hero, certainly not going to argue with that claim, but his actions as president, uh, his actions as president, I should say, have not stood the test of time from my perspective. Even with his first term here, you will find disgraceful things like the near-genocidal Indian Removal Act, which forced Native Americans off their land and killed untold thousands on the Trail of Tears. Uh, He was also, as so many were back then, a staunch anti-abolitionist as well. He disempowered the federal banking system. He destroyed the Second Bank of the United States with a presidential veto. And uh, he actually reimagined the the legislative role of the president and the executive more broadly with his actions. Even within his first term, he greatly influenced the scope of executive power that was held by the president, something that would go on to you know, influence the United States, uh, the, the political atmosphere of the United States for, for centuries to come. And you know, he's often these days painted as an anti-elitist, a warrior for democracy, and a champion of the common man. But this just this just doesn't it, this doesn't hold for me. It doesn't hold any water. In my view, he was an angry, racist, and ruthless man who threatened his political opponents with with violence more than once. So I guess it is little wonder then than you know that today's right wing reveres him so much. Anyway. Uh, president number eight, Martin Van Buren. He served uh, another, another single-term president. He quite a lot of them, more than more, more than you'd think, as we examine uh, this uh, the history books here. Martin Van Buren served a single term from 1837 to 1841, and unfortunately, he didn't do too well. Uh, severe economic economic downturn hit the U.S. in 1837, and Van Buren. Did not rise to the occasion, unfortunately. His government refused to intervene. He cut spending. And uh, this proved to be a bad move because he suffered at the polls for it. He did continue Jackson's removal of Native Americans just for good measure. Um, Although, on the other hand, he did avoid a war with Britain. So sort of a couple in, in each column there. But overall, Van Buren, he just wasn't much of a president. His first and only term uh, is really nothing to write home about. He still managed to, you know... Avoid encouraging political violence. He didn't lie about his tax returns and he wasn't caught celebrating sexual assault. So I'd say he still has the edge on uh, on the incumbent president here. But, uh, you know, even if he didn't do too well on other fronts, Van Buren is probably still beating out Trump there, you know, when it comes to how great his first term was. And uh, I would go so far as to say that the next president, William Henry Harrison, also beat out Trump when it came to uh, the greatness of their respective first terms. And William Henry Harrison was only president for 31 days before he died. In 1841, he was uh, was inaugurated. He was an older bloke. Uh, He was 68 years old at the time of his inauguration, and uh, he wanted to appear tough. He was worried that people would think that in his advanced age, he would uh, be seen as, as weak. 
So during his inauguration speech, which lasted two hours in the freezing cold, he did not wear a coat or a hat. And he then got what was probably pneumonia and died a month later. And I would still rate his first term as being greater than Trump's. Despite its brevity, it featured very little in the way of separating kids from their parents and putting them in cages, for example. So at the moment, right, we've got, as we head, uh, as we head towards the, uh, you know, the, the 10th president here, as we round out our, our, our first 10 here, at the moment, right, Trump's claim has obviously lost the likes of Washington and Jefferson. No shame there. They're amongst the greatest US presidents ever. But it is also lost to a man who spent most of his first term being treated by doctors with bloodlettings. So it's not looking too good for the uh, the claim that uh, the Trump made earlier this week, I have to say. Anyway, Vice President John Tyler uh, took over for Harrison after he died. He served one term as, as president from, from, from 1841 to 1845 as the 10th president of the United States. And uh, he, I think it's fair to say, poor old Tyler here, he is one of the most obscure and unknown presidents. He's... Uh, his term is notable for not very much, honestly. Um, he didn't command a lot of respect from anyone, really. His political opponents referred uh, to him as his accidency, uh, a, a mocking sort of title there. His presidential vetoes were overridden. He made very little progress when it came to domestic policy. He did he did sign a few significant international treaties, however, and he, and he paved the way for the annexation of Texas, which, which is coming up shortly. But broadly speaking, he didn't do that much as president, and he isn't very well remembered as a result. So no good, Tyler Old Son, although at least, you know, you didn't actively spend years working to destabilize the institutions of American democracy. So there is always that. Anyway, the 11th president of the United States is, of course, James K. Polk. And if you, like me, are a fan of the band They Might Be Giants, you will already know all about him. He only served one term as well as so many of the uh, other, uh, pre- you know, the other presidents we've talked about so far. He only served from 1845 to 1849. But this was not because he suffered electoral defeat. It was because he didn't seek re-election. He achieved every single one of his goals in his first term. He, self- he helped to secure a victory in the Mexican-American War, and so he claimed with, with that victory, he claimed the American Southwest. He reduced tariffs significantly. He re-established the independent treasury, uh, and he seemed to leave the country in a much better position than he found it. However, there is another side to this because, of course, many of his decisions further divided the nation when it came to the issue of slavery, particularly when it came to expansion, uh, and this exacerbated the tensions that led to the Civil War. Still, irrespective of your opinions of his policies, you can't argue that Polk was an enormously effective president that, uh, that helped to shape the nation hugely, and again, all of this took place in just one term. And here's another president you probably know next to nothing about. Uh, even if you've heard of Polk, you know, if you haven't heard of Tyler, you probably have not heard of Zachary Taylor too much either. He was president number 12 from 1849 uh, to 1850. He was elected as a war hero after the Mexican-American War, and he made no headway into dealing with the increasingly important and increasingly divisive issue of slavery. And then he died just over a year after his inauguration. So another very short-lived president here. He only had a very, I mean, he was very vaguely interested in politics. His opinions were pretty nebulous, to be honest. He didn't, he didn't seem to be that much, that very, like, hugely interested in being in power in the first place. But uh, he did help to establish California and New Mexico as states rather than territories, so as to avoid this issue of slavery. But his avoidance of this issue was part of the overarching problem with his presidency. And uh, his presidency also came to a very swift and very unexpected end. Uh, because, as I say, he died in 1850 after eating too much on Independence Day. So, yeah, he didn't get a lot right, poor old Zachary Taylor, but he also didn't get that much wrong. He was just a very forgettable, very forgettable president, I'm afraid. So, anyway, moving on now to Millard Fillmore, um, another president who never actually won an election. Millard Fillmore became the 13th president after Taylor's death, and he served the rest of Taylor's original term from 1850 to 1853. Uh, but he was so unsuccessful and so unpopular that he didn't even get renominated as a candidate by his own party. Fillmore was a a pretty ordinary president, really, and he really didn't do a good job of dealing with the ever-growing crisis that was enveloping U.S. politics at this point. And of course, you know what that issue is: it's slavery. He enforced the controversial Fugitive Slave Act, which sought to return escaped slaves to their masters, and uh, he was damned for it uh, by people in the north of the country. 
And uh, internationally, he was involved in keeping the French out of Hawaii, and he sent off a few US expeditions to isolationist Japan. And he proved to be an able diplomat with a few smaller international incidents. But overall, the bloke was a bit of a dud when it came to the presidency, and the country spiralled towards crisis, really, uh, under his leadership. And he didn't do too much to avert it. But if you want to talk about duds, there are a couple more coming up here. Let me tell you this. One of them, President number 14, is Franklin Pierce, who had a single term from 1853 to 1857. Pierce was picked as the Democrat candidate because people thought that he might be able to unify the party's warring factions as the slavery issue continued to dominate the nation. Of course, the the Northern Democrats were abolitionists. The Southern Democrats were firmly pro-slavery. And Franklin Pierce was seen as a compromise candidate who might actually be able to bring the two wings of the party together. But he also did a very bad job of things. He also rigorously enforced the Fugitive Slave Act. Uh, He tore up compromises between free and slave states, and this directly led to violent clashes over slavery in the expanding American West. Internationally, Pierce uh, eyed up annexing Cuba. He sought to buy land off of other nations. Most notably, he succeeded with the Gadsden Purchase off of Mexico, which brought largely the contiguous United States to its current size and shape. So it was under Pierce that the uh, the lower 48 states actually ended up looking more or less what they do look like. Oh, sorry, the, the, the land border, of course, many of the states didn't exist as states at this point, but the, the land border of the United States was, was broadly finalized under Pierce when, it, when you're not talking about Alaska and Hawaii. Um, but for the most part, this bloke was inept, incapable, um, especially when it came to uniting an increasingly divided nation that was, of course, spiraling towards civil war. And Pierce's successor, James Buchanan, is viewed just as dimly by historians, let me tell you. He's another single-term president. He served from 1857 to 1861 as the 15th president of the United States. And uh, if we're talking about great first terms, his certainly was not one of them. In fact, you could argue that it, in many ways, was actually, in fairness, worse than the last four years. Under Buchanan, the final events that would ultimately spark the Civil War took place, and this bloke did very little to forestall them. When it came to the slavery debate, uh, Buchanan Buchanan either stuck his head in the sand and refused to engage or just enabled uh, uh, the pro-slavery southern states to dominate his policies, you know, somewhat passively. He did next to nothing to address the sweeping disunity throughout the country, and he even splintered his own Democratic Party with his response to the crisis. He is often cited as the worst president in the history of the United States, and This is with good reason. It might seem like the United States has come close uh, during the disastrous Trump administration to another civil war. The administration itself has hardly been passive in fueling the fires of division. But even Trump didn't manage to actually foment an entire civil war, you know, just just an armed insurrection on the Capitol building, which isn't much better, but still. Anyway, the fact that Buchanan managed to split the Democratic Party, right, this directly led to the election of the next president, the 16th president, and one of the nation's very best, Abraham Lincoln, who served as president from 1861 till 1865. And his election directly resulted in the southern slave states finally seceding from the United States and rebelling, forming the short-lived Confederate States of America. Lincoln fought him, oh mate, how he fought him, and eventually he beat him too. He defended the Union, he brought the slaveholding state, uh, you know, the, the, the slaveholding rebels back into line, and uh, his, his landmark presidency is widely considered to be one of the best ever. His Emancipation Proclamation, in addition to the 13th Amendment, which he didn't live long enough to see to go, to go into effect, of course, these things abolished slavery in the United States. He is a towering, a, a heroic figure. In American politics, he's often described as the saviour of the Union, uh, and under his leadership, the United States weathered the greatest internal crisis the country has ever faced. And he did almost all of this in his first term, because only 45 days into his second, as the Civil War was all but over, of course, he was assassinated. It is very difficult to claim that any other president's first term was more significant, more important, more worthy, or indeed greater than Abraham Lincoln's, which makes another claim of Trump's all the more insulting to the legacy of Lincoln as well. Because in an interview in June 2019, Trump said, Abraham Lincoln was treated supposedly very badly, but nobody's been treated badly like me. 
Abraham Lincoln got shot in the head and died, mate. So I don't know how well that claim holds up. He also made claims about his first term being the best ever in that very same interview, and that claim has obviously aged like milk in the sun. We're not even halfway through our list, and even without the election conspiracy theories and the armed insurrection, he's being, he's being handily beat by most of his predecessors. Anyway, the legacy of Abraham Lincoln as the saviour of the Union, it towers above the overwhelming majority of the presidents of the United States, and with good reason. You can quibble over the exact order, but Lincoln is up there with Washington, Jefferson, and, spoiler alert, the, both Roosevelts as one of the, uh, the greatest American political leaders the world has ever seen. But the same can't be said of his successor, Andrew Johnson, who took office after Lincoln's assassination and served just a single term from 1865 to 1869 as the 17th president. This bloke is often remembered, again, as one of the very worst presidents, like the blokes before Lincoln, uh, you know, along with Buchanan, Pierce and Fillmore, because he grossly mishandled the beginning of the post-war reconstruction period. He refused to give legal protection to freed slaves. He ushered the rebel states back into the Union without too much in the way of reform. Um, and he was fiercely opposed in doing this by Congress, who fought against his, his unilateral decision-making and his vetoes, and even impeached him, although he avoided uh, conviction in the Senate. Johnson was obstinate, arrogant, self-important, and he absolutely stuffed up managing a nation coming back, after a, coming back together after a ferocious civil war. Historian Elizabeth R. Varon has described him as a rigid, dictatorial racist, who was unable to compromise or to accept a political reality at odds with his own ideas. So in some ways, really, the current, the current president is doing a very good job in living up to the standards set by some of his predecessors. Ulysses S. Grant is up next, president number 18, and the first one in a while to serve two complete terms from 1869 to 1877. Grant had fought as a Union general during the Civil War, and as president, he took to Reconstruction with both hands. He established the Department of Justice, he went after the KKK, and he began to appoint African Americans to important political positions. He also got the post-war economy back on track, he built up the lackluster US Navy, which was lagging behind the rest of the world by this stage, and uh, he established the world's first ever national park, Yellowstone. And all of that was in his first term. Not a bad effort at all, really. Unfortunately, there is another side to the coin because Grant was, uh, he faced heavy accusations of nepotism and cronyism throughout his presidency. Uh, he gave a lot of positions to his old army mates and his administration was, was tainted with corruption. So a bit of a mixed bag for Grant, therefore you'd have to say a bit of a mixed legacy for him. Rutherford B. Hayes succeeded Grant, serving another, another single-term presidency here from 1877 to 1881 as the 19th president of the United States. His victory in the 1876 presidential election was enormously controversial, and the only reason he got to the White House was through the Compromise of 1877. And this compromise effectively ended Reconstruction. Southern Democrats, they, they conceded the presidency to Hayes in exchange for the removal of northern troops from southern states. And this directly led to the restoration of Jim Crow laws in the south. Not the sort of thing you want to attach to your presidential legacy there, Rutherford, mate. And it fueled ongoing racial tensions in former slave states. On the other hand, Hayes did run a meritocratic government. He reformed the civil service and he helped to restore the reputation of the office of president after Johnson and Grant. So a middling performance from Hayes with, a, again, a bit of a mixed legacy, but a long way away from being the worst, certainly. Poor old James A. Garfield is next, the uh, very short-lived 20th president who served for just six and a half months before he was assassinated. You can go and listen to episode number three if you want to hear the whole story behind his assassination. But suffice to say, you won't be surprised to learn he didn't get much done in the few, uh, in the few months that he was president. He did bolster the authority of the presidency when clashing with Congress. He continued to fight corruption in government offices. And um, then he got shot at a train station and died because his doctors didn't know they should wash their, you know, they should wash their hands before digging around in his wounds. Go and listen to episode ninety-one to learn more about the history of hand washing. Anyway, um, it's difficult to criticise Garfield too much. Really, he did more good than harm as president before he was murdered. So, you know, I mean, good on him. But uh, again, a very short presidency, so a, a difficult one to very, you know, to be hugely objective about. Anyway, we move on to Chester A. Arthur, who was Garfield's vice president. And he became president once Garfield died in September 1881. He served as the 21st president of the United States from 1881 to 1885. So another single-term presidency here. 
Arthur oversaw more reforms to the US civil service, he reduced tariffs thanks to budget surpluses, and he tried to fight for civil rights uh, protections for African Americans, although he couldn't get them past a hostile Congress. This is going to be a recurring theme in many, in many of the stories of US presidencies coming up here. He was well-respected and uh, he was reasonably well-liked, generally speaking. He was solidly competent as a president, but he didn't really get much done. His administration was slow-paced, and while he was, you know, flexible and forward-thinking, while there was peace and prosperity under him, he just didn't really do anything particularly notable or grand, which is, it's fine. Like, we're not knocking him. Sometimes that's what, that's what history needs, just an ordinary bloke putting in ordinary work, but a middling performance once again there for, uh, for Chester A. Arthur. Next up is Grover Cleveland, uh, the only US president to date who served two non-consecutive terms. And let's hope that that little bit of trivia remains true for the foreseeable future, I reckon. Cleveland served his first term as the 22nd president from 1885 to 1889, and uh, he continued in his predecessor's footsteps as a reformer. However, he was much more forceful, much more active than Arthur, um, and he was, much, he, was very, he was very admired for his integrity as he fought corruption and cronyism. He remained firmly non-interventionist in international affairs, and he focused on self-defense when it came to the military. However, he did very little to support civil rights reforms for African Americans, and uh, it seems that he had a very dim view of non-white races, although he did prevent tens of thousands of white settlers from taking control of Native American lands in the Dakotas, so, you know, a little bit in both camps there. But um, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing that he did here, which is, uh, you know, perhaps more significant than, uh, than ever before. After suffering a, a contentious defeat in the, in, the, in the highly controversial 1888 election, uh, an election in which, by the way, he won the popular vote but lost the Electoral College. Cleveland continued to do his job as president until the appointed time with competence, with integrity, and then his successor took over in early 1889 and he just stepped aside. He did his job to the best of his abilities for the appointed time and then he left the office of presidency in an orderly and respectful manner. And I'll tell you this, he was rewarded for it with a second term four years later. You can disagree with Cleveland's policies, but you cannot deny that he was a man of honour and integrity, and he, he, he offered the, the, the office of president the respect that it deserved, especially being graceful in the face of defeat there. Anyway, he was succeeded by Benjamin Harrison. He was the 23rd president of the United States. He served a single term from 1889 to 1893 before, of course, uh, uh, losing the next election uh, to Cleveland for his second term. Harrison was the grandson of the ninth president, William Henry Harrison, the one who died of pneumonia. But this Harrison lasted a fair bit longer than his grandpapa. He saw out his entire first term before, before of course, being beaten by Cleveland. Um this Harrison presidency saw tariffs increase, uh, it saw the creation of national forest reserves, the bolstering of US naval power, and perhaps most significantly, the addition of six new states. Harrison also uh, sought to expand voting rights and education access for African Americans, but unfortunately, he wasn't hugely successful in getting through this, uh, getting this through a, a hostile Congress. Like Cleveland, he was a man of integrity, a man of honour, but he, uh, he nonetheless did face uh, accusations of corruption within his administration, at least, and as a result, he was never re-elected. He wasn't a terrible president by any means. He was the, he was the last president for a while, for the next 40 years, in fact, to push for significant uh, civil rights reforms. But um, he, he certainly wasn't a standout, wasn't, uh, wasn't amongst the best or, or anything like that. Still, not a bad innings from, um, from, from Harrison there. Anyway, next up is President number 25, William McKinley, who served after Cleveland's second term. Uh, Cleveland is uh, considered to be the 22nd and the 24th President of the United States, thanks to his non-consecutive terms. There's so a number 25, McKinley, uh, who served from 1897 to, to 1901. He did win a second election in 1900, but he was killed before he completed another president to be assassinated here. One of four, of course, along with Lincoln and Garfield, and uh, John F. Kennedy, who we'll deal with uh, in due course. He's generally considered to have been a, uh, a pretty decent president, William McKinley, before his untimely end. McKinley kicked off the progressive era of U.S. politics. Domestically, he's remembered for steadying the U.S. economy after the Panic of 1897. But it's his foreign policies that remain the most significant. Under McKinley, the U.S. won the Spanish-American Civil War, took possession of Cuba, uh, annexed Hawaii, 
and took control as well of Guam and Puerto Rico, as well as the Philippines. So under McKinley, the United States established a, a vast overseas empire. And thanks to this expansionism, the United States edged closer and closer to, to becoming a great global power as we move into the 20th century, which is, which is quite an achievement, you have to say. Sadly, however, William McKinley's life was cut short when he was, he was shot by an anarchist in 1901 who hit a revolver under a handkerchief. And this led directly to the Secret Service becoming responsible for the security of the president. Before that, they were actually just an anti-counterfeiting organization. But as we've discussed before on the podcast, the assassination, uh, assassination of McKinley led to their, uh, their powers and responsibilities being greatly expanded. And even today, the Secret Service uh, still, of course, responsible, uh, directly responsible for the, the, the safety of, uh, of the United States president. Anyway, thanks to the untimely death of McKinley... One of the greatest U.S. presidents we've ever seen uh, now emerged, the uh, Vice President Theodore Roosevelt, who moved into the White House in uh, in 1901 and served two terms, almost two full terms, of course, due to the uh, uh, the timing of, of McKinley's assassination. Uh, Roosevelt, well, T.R., was was the 26th president from 1901 to 1909. Now, of course, he's very famous even today for his cowboy persona. He was a rugged man of the outdoors with a very strong interest in conservation and the natural world. And his legacy as president is an overwhelmingly positive one. He was the last of the progressive Republicans. He broke up trusts and oversaw government regulations of everything from food and drink to, to railroads. He established the National Park Service. He began construction of the Panama Canal. He expanded the Navy and many other things beside, right? But much of this took place during his second term. In his first term, he built the West Wing in the White House. Uh, he launched his famous Square Deal, which sought to regulate corporations, advocate consumer interests, and protect the environment. Um, he did come under attack as the president uh, from racist politicians from the South for dining with his advisor, Booker T. Washington, in the White House, because, of course, Washington was, uh, was African-American, and uh, T.R. copped a bit of flack for that. But that's just nonsense, and T.R. was bloody brilliant. He was excellent. He, I mean, most of his greatest achievements, in fairness, took place during his second term. But even during his first one, he's still kicking goals with both feet as the, as the last great progressive Republican. And he's gone down in history as one of the greatest presidents of the United States. So good on you, T.R. William H. Taft was the appointed successor of Roosevelt. Uh, the two men, they were actually close friends, and T.R. endorsed Taft during the 1908 election that saw him become the 27th president and serve then for a single term. Now, Taft's presidency is largely unremarkable. He, he was overshadowed by Roosevelt uh, pretty significantly, and when Taft started to diverge from T.R.'s progressive policies, Roosevelt actually ran against him, sort of, uh, I mean, it's been characterized as, as a betrayal of his best mate there, but T.R. actually, you know, split so far from Taft and his policies that in 1912, Roosevelt actually ran for another term and in the process split the Republican Party down the middle. He uh, forever changed its political makeup as Republican progressives abandoned the party to follow Roosevelt instead. Um, anyway, while President Taft continued with uh, TR's antitrust campaigning, he interfered in uh, Latin American politics, he invested US money in foreign markets to gain uh, political influence, something that's known today as dollar diplomacy. However, he couldn't overcome the growing divide between the factions of his Republican Party as it underwent this identity crisis, and he lost the 1912 election as the vote was split between him and, uh, and TR. He's remembered as, as a pretty middling president. Uh, not bad, certainly, but not great, although certainly greater than the current administration, as Taft, for example, didn't mock the disabled or call US soldiers losers and suckers. So, you know, he's always got that. Now, here's an interesting one. The next one, next president here, Woodrow Wilson. He was the 28th president. He served two terms from 18, oh, from 1913, excuse me, to 1921. And he is, of course, most famous for bringing the United States into the First World War in 1917. But that took place just after he started his second term, as, of course, did all his foreign policy work as, a, uh, as an internationalist, as a globalist, right, uh, with the League of Nations. But his first term uh, also had a lot of stuff going on. Most importantly, the establishment of the Federal Reserve in 1913, in addition to the Federal Trade Commission as well. He favoured women's, women's suffrage, uh, but failed to take a leading role in the issue, um, and was also something of a conservationist, although nothing like TR. There is a lot of good stuff on Wilson. There really is. But unfortunately, his legacy is heavily tainted by the fact that he was, I'm sorry to say, an out-and-out -out racist. 
He was a progressive Democrat, sure, and uh, a lot of the a lot of his international policy was heavily influential throughout the 20th century and even through to today. But he enforced segregation, he supported white supremacy, and he tarnished what would otherwise be a sparkling legacy as one of the country's great presidents. So a man of very mixed character and a, and a difficult figure to evaluate, really. However, the next president, Warren G. Harding, is not a very difficult figure to evaluate at all. He was a bit of a dud, although this only emerged after he died. Harding served as the 29th president uh, from 1921 until 1923. He died in office, probably of cardiac arrest, we think. Um, uh, And he died at a point where he was very well liked. But this legacy, it did not last, I can tell you that. Because before before his death, right, he achieved a landmark international naval disarmament treaty. He released political prisoners. He instituted uh, these, you know, sort of more conservative government policies that crystallised the new Republican position. And people loved him for it. People, people thought he was, was a dead set hero. They loved Harding. He was very popular indeed. But after his death, the truth emerged. His administration was deeply, deeply corrupt. Two cabinet members after his death actually went to prison after the Teapot Dome scandal, they accepted bribes from oil companies to uh, to get to gain access to, uh, or to give access, I should say, to extensive uh, petroleum reserves. And uh, once this was discovered, it became the the greatest political scandal in U.S. history, all the way up into Watergate, really. Um, and it irrepar- irreparably damaged Harding's uh, reputation after his death. He was also discovered to have been a serial adulterer for what's that uh, for, what, for whatever that that's worth. There, he had several mistresses and affairs that. Lasted up to 15 years in some cases. And today, as a result of all this, he's lumped in with Fillmore, Pierce, Andrew Johnson, all the rest of it, as one of the worst presidents ever, which is a little harsh, perhaps, although not entirely undeserved, seeing as, you know, he wasn't a, obviously wasn't a man of great moral fibre. Anyway, we move on now to Calvin Coolidge, who became the 30th president after the death of Harding, and he served two terms. Uh, Obviously, his first was considerably shortened, from 1923 to 1929. Now, Calvin was a bit of a mixed bag. He was a small government conservative, which obviously is an ideal, but he was was also a very strong proponent of racial equality, which certainly is. Um, In his very short first term, he dealt with the fallout from the Teapot Dome scandal. He lowered taxes for the rich, uh, but he gave all Native American citizenship and he delivered the first ever presidential speech to be broadcast via radio. Now, he was also known as a very quiet man indeed. He hardly ever talked, and when he did, he wouldn't say much, and this gave to the nickname uh, Silent Cal. He later wrote, later in in his career, he wrote about this. He addressed it by writing, The words of a president have enormous weight and ought not to be used indiscriminately. So this certainly would have been a very, you know, very welcome change of pace these days. But for all of this, Coolidge, he's not much more than a middling president, really. He put in an average performance. Difficult to criticise him too much, but, uh, you know, there wasn't huge, great standout achievements from him during either of his terms, let alone his first one. Next up is Herbert Hoover, the 31st president, who served a single term from 1929 to 1933. Now, Hoover's uh, Hoover's presidency, as you might have already guessed, is defined by the Wall Street crash of 1929 and the Great Depression that followed it. And unfortunately, Hoover did not do super well when it came to dealing with it. He raised tariffs, he lowered international trade, and his initiatives to restart commerce and business were all pretty ineffective. He largely tried to keep the government out of directly interfering with the economic issues brought on by the Depression. He was quite conservative in that regard. And this just did not help things at all, really. It seemed that Hoover just didn't really understand the severity of the problems that the United States faced during his presidency. And so he never rose to the challenge of properly dealing with them. He's generally considered to be a bit of a dud overall and was swiftly defeated at the, at the uh, 1932 US presidential election. And the man who defeated him was, of course, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of the greatest U.S. presidents in history and the only one ever to serve more than two terms. He was elected to a total of four terms from 1933 to 1945 uh, when he died in office. And there is so much to say about FDR from his New Deal all the way through to his role as the U.S. entered the Second World War. But let's focus now on the achievements from his first term only. These included the famous New Deal, which dragged the United States out of the Great Depression through a host of progressive policies overseen by newly created government agencies. He 
poured money into federal spending initiatives designed to stimulate the economy, lower ballooning unemployment and poverty, and regulate business practices. And he also established social social security. He strengthened the rights of the worker. And then after all of this, he won the 1936 election in an absolute landslide, 523 electoral college votes to eight. And then following that, of course, he led the U.S. to war against Nazi Germany and the Empire Empire of Japan, which set a precedent of U.S. presidents being totally and completely anti-Nazi that remained unbroken until only very recently. He is one of the greatest United States presidents to have ever lived, and his first term alone puts him above the vast majority of the others. Good on you, FDR, mate. What a hero. What a champion he is. But when he died in office in 1945, just a few months before the end of the Second World War, he was replaced by Harry S. Truman, who became the 33rd president, serving two terms from 1945 to 1953. Now, Truman's most famous legacy is, of course, approving the use of nuclear weapons in war against Japan in order to end the Second World War. And it is the only time in history that they've ever been detonated as weapons. This defining moment of Truman's presidency remains highly contentious even today, but all the way through to his death, Truman staunchly defended the use of nuclear weapons, saying that he believed that it saved countless lives, hundreds of thousands of lives, he claimed, by uh, by avoiding a prolonged invasion of Japan. And uh, whether you agree or disagree with that, certainly you can't doubt that uh, true, the decision Truman made was certainly one that, that echoed throughout history and, and again, is, is still enormously significant today with uh, so many nations around the world still bristling with nuclear weapons. Anyway, after the US won the war, Truman focused on post-war rebuilding with reasonably good results, it has to be said. The US propped up the European post-war economy with the famous Berlin airlift being emblematic of the the aid that Europe received from the US as tension between the US and the Soviets began to rise as we enter the era of the Cold War. Truman supported the creation of the United Nations and recognised the state of Israel 11 minutes after it was created. And he also racially racially integrated the uh, the U.S. armed services and federal agencies in 1948, which is a very controversial move at the time. He was not a popular president at all as the 1948 election approached, but he pulled off an incredible victory all the same after a whistle-stop tour of the country and went on to govern for another term. And he is remembered as a result, as an above-average president. And certainly, he did rise to the challenges that the time period presented to him. He did clutch his moment in history whether you agree with the results or not is largely is largely irrelevant to the fact that he did rise to the occasion i think it's fair to say even if you don't agree with what he did after uh, addressing the issues that faced him Dwight D. Eisenhower became the 34th president in 1953, and he served two terms through to 1961. Now, previous to this, as you probably know, he he was the supreme commander of the Allied Expeditionary Forces in Europe, um, and he enjoyed a positive reputation as a result. And as president, he opposed U.S. isolationism. He actively engaged the country in international affairs, such as the, the Korean War and, of course, the Cold War. He expanded social security, he oversaw the creation of NASA, and he kicked off the interstate highway system that to this day still bears his name. He did enforce the landmark Supreme Court case Brown versus Board of Education, uh, despite having personal reservations about the decision, and he signed some civil rights legislation into law as well. So he was able to put his own somewhat bigoted worldview and viewpoint to the side and govern in the best interests of the nation, even when those, uh, you know, and, and even if you don't agree with a person like that, you still have to respect someone who is able to uh, to accept, you know, a, uh, a difference of opinion and, and work constructively alongside it. And, you know, Eisenhower even today is remembered as a popular president. He has an important legacy through to the, the modern era and is generally considered to have been an able president, much like Truman before him, a, a, certainly a very a, an above average estimation and um, evaluation of the time that he spent in the White House. He was succeeded by John Fitzgerald Kennedy in 1961. JFK would serve one incomplete term as the 35th president of the United States before, of course, he was assassinated in 1963. Kennedy's presidency was dominated by extreme Cold War tensions between the US and the USSR, and this period uh, under his presidency saw the world, really, the entire world, not just the United States, but the world, come about as close as we ever did to nuclear Armageddon. 
Kennedy authorised the Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba and he increased uh, US involvement in Vietnam, which would, of course, go on to lead to the, the Vietnam War. But he did prevent the world from burning a nuclear fire during the Cuban Missile Crisis, so we've got to give him that. Domestically, Kennedy fought with a hostile Congress to expand health and education programs, and in 1963, he proposed sweeping civil rights reforms and tax cuts, which all certainly have a very positive legacy. However, he never saw these measures come into effect because... As you know, he was tragically assassinated in late 1963. But even today, he remains a very popular figure in US politics and he's widely remembered as a. Well, he's widely remembered very favorably as president. Lyndon B. Johnson replaced JFK as president after the assassination, becoming the 36th US president and serving two terms from 1963 to 1969. And even with his greatly shortened first term, Johnson got a lot done. He passed this landmark Civil Rights Act. He passed the Clean Air Act. He managed to cut taxes. Um, The Civil Rights Act banned racial segregation and expanded the federal government's power to deal with racial discrimination, an enormously important piece of legislation that, of course, JFK had been pushing for before his untimely assassination. Johnson also declared the war on poverty, and much of his presidency, especially the second term, dealt with poverty-related issues within the United States. However, unfortunately, Johnson was also responsible for escalating the Vietnam War, although, again, most of this happened during his second term. So while his domestic policies reflect very well on LBJ, certainly at home he was a, a very a very able and uh, a very capable president. Um, he is remembered, and he's remembered positively for them, but his international policies have not stood the test of time. And this means that he does have a, a slightly mixed legacy due to the, uh, you know, the, the, the positive domestic policies, but the, the rather negative international policies. Anyway, he was, uh, he was succeeded by Richard Nixon as the 37th president who served two terms from 1969 to 1974. Although, of course, as you probably know, Nixon's second term was cut short by his resignation in the wake of the Watergate scandal. In his first term, Nixon, uh, Nixon focused on relaxing Cold War tensions. He uh, helped the country enter into a period of detente with the USSR and, and with China, for what it's worth. Nixon signed multiple disarmament treaties, and he began to withdraw from uh, withdraw US, uh, the US forces and, and, and presence from, from Vietnam. Domestically, he sought to hand federal powers off to the states, however, and he struggled with a hostile Congress in achieving these aims. But he did... He did make uh, some, some, you know, reasonable forward steps when it came to things like the creation of the Environmental Policy Agency and, and uh, welfare reforms that provided welfare to people with low income. And it was during his presidency, of course, that the United States also landed the first human on the moon. Although this, uh, this had been in the works for a long time, so we're not going to give Nixon all the credit for that because that had been uh, that had been in the works you know since the since the days of uh, of NASA being established there by Eisenhower by Kennedy making his famous speech and and Johnson also supporting the efforts of NASA there but still it happened under Nixon and uh, and that's worth uh, that's worth noting but all of this of course is fatally undercut by the fact that while seeking re-election in 1972 Nixon was involved with a range of illegal activities that sought to undermine the election And after lying about his involvement in these activities, he was discovered to have known about the whole thing all along, and he resigned before he could be impeached. This, of course, became known as the Watergate scandal. And as a result of Watergate, he is not remembered very favorably at all. Despite his many first-term achievements, the legacy of shame attached to uh, Richard Nixon and uh, the ignominious end to his presidency is what has defined and shaped his legacy as, uh, as, as the years have passed. Gerald R. Ford replaced Nixon, became the 38th president, serving a single term, uh, a reduced term, of course, after Nixon resigned from 1974 to 1977. And Ford, interestingly, is the only president in U.S. history to have never been elected as either president or as vice president, as he replaced Nixon's previous vice president, Spiro Agnew, before becoming president himself afterwards. Ford pursued detente with the USSR. He ended all US involvement in Vietnam and uh, attempted to guide the nation through a recession that hit during his presidency. But he also very controversially pardoned Nixon. And this went over like a fart in an elevator and it still tarnishes his legacy today. Ford, honestly, just didn't seem up to the task. Most people seem to think positively of him as a person, but negatively of him as a president. And he never won a second term.
Jimmy Carter was the 39th President of the United States. He served a single term from 1977 to 1981. Carter dealt with uh, international Cold War politics with an initially conciliatory attitude, although this changed after the 1979 Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, which caused uh, tensions to rise enormously once again. But before this, he attempted to end the Arab-Israeli conflict with the Camp David Accords. He pursued disarmament. Um, And back at home, he pardoned all the draft dodgers. He established a national energy policy with a focus on alternative power sources. But he did have to deal with a hostile Congress that blocked much of his other planned reforms to health and welfare, and he didn't achieve all of his aims as a result. And he doesn't have the strongest legacy of all the US presidents, largely considered to be have been a little below average as a president, but is still considered uh, outside of the presidency as, as a philanthropist and, and as a public figure, very favorably indeed. But Carter was beaten by Ronald Reagan in 1980, who became the 40th president and uh, ultimately went on to serve two terms right through to 1989. And Reagan dragged the United States into modern conservatism. He deregulated the economy. He reduced government spending. We're still waiting for all of this to trickle down to us, Reagan mate. And he also sought to force religion and prayer back into schools, which thankfully failed. And uh, he failed to enforce civil rights legislation. He argued that this legislation interfered with states' rights. He put he put states' rights agendas above the civil rights of his citizens. He also strongly escalated the Cold War. He increased military spending. He went after the USSR wherever he could. And more broadly, even outside the sphere, the sphere of US politics, he had a huge influence on modern conservatism. And within the United States, a huge influence on the modern office of president. And His lasting impact on the image of the United States is still being felt today. He turned the nation sharply to the right. He revived American exceptionalism. And I'm not going to attempt to disguise the fact that I think very little of him for it. In fairness, he is viewed quite positively by history and his legacy can't really be understated no matter what you make of him. He is considered one of the more effective and and, and better United States presidents but uh, certainly his legacy and his, uh, his adherence and, and promotion of modern conservatism has helped to shape the United States into the nation that it is today. George H.W. Bush is up next, who served a single term as the 41st president, succeeding Reagan in 1989 and serving until 1993. Now, Bush Sr. had been the vice president under Reagan, and his presidency was defined by foreign policy, such as the Cold War coming to an end. Uh, the invasion of the Gulf War and of Panama. Uh, Bush also signed the NAFTA Treaty, creating creating a a trilateral trade bloc, although it wasn't ratified until after he left office. Domestically, Bush didn't impress people when he broke his election promise and raised taxes, but he did sign the Americans with Disabilities Act, which protected the rights of the disabled and uh, resulted in sweeping changes throughout the nation. But more generally, more broadly, Bush was a pretty laissez-faire president who put on a, an average performance and he wasn't elected to a second term as a result. Bill Clinton beat Bush in the 1992 election, becoming the 42nd president before ultimately serving two terms from 1993 until 2001. And in his first term, Clinton oversaw a period of great economic growth throughout the US, reducing the budget deficit, raising taxes for the wealthy while cutting them for the poor. He reformed the nation's welfare system. He undid restrictions on family planning and birth control, but he failed to get health care reforms through Congress. Uh, the very first White House website was launched under Clinton as he moved the government towards online communication. But he also unfortunately held up uh, progress towards same-sex marriage, and uh, his progressivism obviously did know some bounds, although he, he did support gay rights in some other areas, just not as, as uh, wholeheartedly as perhaps would have, uh, would, have, would have befitted him. In his second term, he was mired in controversy, of course, over the Lewinsky affair, and eventually he was impeached, although he wasn't convicted. And his presidency still enjoys a positive reputation in the short time since it has ended. George W. Bush, the son of George H. W. Bush, became the, thir- the 43rd president in 2001 and served two terms until 2009. Now, of course, Bush's presidency was defined by his foreign policy as he responded to the September 11 attacks of 2001 and later declared the war on terror, which culminated in the invasions 
of Iraq and Afghanistan. His aggressive involvement of the U.S. in foreign affairs made the uh, the nation highly interventionist and highly unpopular in many uh, in many circles. It attracted much criticism. Uh, his first term, in particular, saw the United States become entangled in conflicts throughout the world, as I'm sure I'm sure some listeners will remember. Um, and domestically, Bush cut taxes, he restricted reproductive rights, and he instituted faith-based welfare systems. Historians take a dim view of the Bush presidency, generally speaking, although when compared to the last four years, even some on the other end of the political spectrum remember the Bush administration rather more fondly than they would have ever believed possible. Um, but uh, I mean, per- perhaps you know the the recency of the presidency is is colouring people's assessment of it, and in time things will change. But certainly, a a below average assessment of the of the Bush administration is where people seem to have landed. After Bush came Barack Obama, who became the very first African American president in two thousand and nine, serving two terms until twenty seventeen as the forty fourth president of the United States. Obama's first term saw him pass healthcare reforms, protections of gay rights, um, consumer protection laws. He also managed a failing economy in the wake of the Great Recession with tax relief and unemployment insurance. Internationally, uh, Obama committed further troops to the Middle East. He intervened in the Libyan civil war and ordered the operation that ultimately killed Osama bin Laden, the terrorist leader behind the September 11 attacks. Obama's second term was no less influential, of course, uh, but there's no doubting that his first term in and of itself saw the international reputation of the United States improve considerably after the damage done by the Bush administration. And he is generally considered today to have been a good president, even if he's not amongst the greatest of all time. But again, perhaps we need a little more time to pass before we get the full picture of the Obama administration, as, uh, as again, it is very recent in, uh, in many people's memories here. And finally, we come to the, at time of recording, incumbent president, Donald Trump, the 45th president whose uh, first and very hopefully only term began in 2017. Amongst Trump's achievements are the creation of Space Force, the first new branch of the military since 1947, uh, tax cuts that favoured corporations, his administration oversaw criminal justice reform, a reduction in coal burning, the final destruction of ISIS, and strong economic growth. I'm not here to tell you that Trump got nothing right, far from it, and he did have some successes as president, as I've just outlined. But stack those successes against supporting far-right white supremacists, dodging his tax responsibilities, mocking political opponents for everything from race to disability, supporting and even encouraging police brutality, glorifying sexual violence, attacking national healthcare programs, pulling apart environmental protections, emboldening racists and bigots everywhere, causing the largest US government shutdown in history, locking migrant children in cages, tear-gassing protesters for a photo op, destabilising American democracy through foreign interference and baseless denial of election results, condemning countless thousands to death with lethally dangerous mismanagement of a global pandemic, and now, finally, only this week, the endorsement and encouragement of an armed insurgency against Congress. And he has the nerve, the nerve to stand up and say that his presidency had the greatest first term in history. The United States' reputation as a leading light of Western liberal democracy is in shambles. The nation is a laughingstock, and perhaps irreparable damage has been done to the political institutions that have supported this country through well over two years centuries of history. I'm not going to contend that Trump was the worst president in the history of the United States. Assessments like that are years away. We can take a longer and more balanced view of history in due course and determine his actual position. But to claim that Trump's presidency even comes close to some of the greatest that we've seen, Lincoln, Washington, both Roosevelt's, Jefferson, it's ridiculous, it's laughable, and it is frankly insulting. It is insulting to those presidents who gave their country so much, who left not only the US, but the world a better place. And it is insulting to history and to historians everywhere. It is a claim that seeks to twist and distort the historical narrative. 
And you know as well as I do that there are people out there who will fall for it hook, line, and sinker. But not me, and not you. Our whirlwind tour of every single US president today definitely proves the false nature of this claim beyond any doubt, and goes a long way in proving that the inverse is perhaps true. Trump's first term is undoubtedly one of the worst in history. And in the fullness of time, I wouldn't be surprised to see his name alongside Fillmore, Pierce, Buchanan, Andrew Johnson, and Harding. The worst of the worst. And even then, none of these presidents ended their terms by fermenting an insurgency against the very same government and nation that they are the head of. Shame on you. Shame on you for having subjected a proud nation to four years of shambolic leadership. Shame on you for corrupting the hearts and the minds of so many with divisive, hateful and bigoted poison. And shame on you finally for trying to twist and distort the historical narrative to try to get away with it. History is not kind. History does not forget. And just like they always say, history is written by the winners. So this time around, it isn't you who gets to do the writing, Mr. President. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is a brief summary of the first-term achievements of every single US president. And maybe we learned a thing or two along the way as we attempt to uh, disprove this ludicrous claim that Trump made earlier this week. Thanks for hanging out with me for what is undoubtedly the longest episode I have ever published uh, as part of Half-Ass History. I do hope you got something out of it. Um... Of course, all the boring housekeeping stuff coming your way here and now. You can go to halfhousehistory.net and check out old episodes and find links to subscribe. Also links to the Patreon there, patreon.com slash if you'd like to support the show financially. Certainly very, very greatly appreciate all the people who do so already. You become an executive producer of the show or you can gain access to uncut episodes, early access to them, show notes, all sorts of benefits available for you there if you'd like to contribute. Uh, but otherwise, thanks for listening and thanks for sharing uh, the good word of half ass history with your friends, with your enemies and people, of course, who you feel you know, largely indifferent towards. Uh, maybe this will be an interesting one to share with people who are looking for a bit more of a deeper perspective on uh, on current affairs and, and, and goes to show the relevance of history even in the modern era. Anyway, thanks for listening. Of course, as ever, we're going to close out, uh, close out the show with a question posed on Reddit. And uh, given that we have sort of gone very deep on American history, here is a question about America, asked presumably by an American, because it is one of the most American questions you're ever going to come across. It's asked by Reddit user Cry to Laugh, who asks, What was the world like before America invented freedom? Freedom.